DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Glad to have you with us for another week on Political Rewind. It's a big, big week in Georgia politics and, of course, a huge week nationally as Super Tuesday will get underway tomorrow uh, and tell us a lot about where the Democratic presidential nomination stands. Um, We've got the A-team here, the A-team. We've got Andra, Audrey, Alan, and Amy otherwise known as Dr. Amy Steigerwald, political science professor at Georgia State University, Dr. Alan Abramowitz, uh, Emory University political science, uh, Andra Gillespie, Dr. Andra Gillespie, also Emory, and all the way from Athens, Dr. Audrey Haynes, University of Georgia professor of political science, and my partner on Mondays and Fridays, the AJC lead political writer Jim Galloway is with us as well. Jim, You and I are the only ones on the show today without advanced degrees. I think we should just keep quiet and listen to what they have to say. Can I can I qualify with just a, a small a? I've got a, a my my middle name is Alan. I could be a uh-huh. <laughs> well. There it's a you great go. Choice. <laughs> All right, let's get started. Um, Jim, let's start though by talking being a little coming a little closer to home. We got a lot to digest in terms of what happened in South Carolina and how it's going to push us forward into Super Tuesday tomorrow. But why don't we start? at home with a couple of interesting stories that start today. One of them being that uh, you can vote as of this morning. uh, You can cast an early vote for Georgia's presidential preference primary, which actually takes place on March 24th. Polling places across the state, not all of them, of course, but select locations are open for business, Jim. Yeah, which means we should be seeing a good bit of ads. We've got, uh, I know Elizabeth Warren uh, uh, has an operation on the ground, knock, door knocking uh, as of today. I would assume that you're going to see, we're going to see a hefty load of Bloomberg ads. But, but, but I, I doubt, uh, from what I'm hearing, he, he hasn't uh, purchased, made any purchases past Super Tuesday at this point. Uh, it's, uh, and of course, you know what? We can probably expect a Donald Trump rally. Uh, around March 22nd, 23rd or so. I would think so. Um, let me let me go around with the panel on this, and we're going to talk again about the bounce out of South Carolina in more detail in a few minutes, but it, just as long as we're talking about okay. early voting okay. in, in uh, G- Georgia. Um, Andra, the last AJC poll, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but, but Joe Biden was by far the preference of Georgia Democrats for the nomination here. So the fact that we start voting early and people are going to be heading to the polls, what impact do you think his landslide victory in South Carolina has on how people are thinking about him today? Um, I assume it would just reinforce um, those preferences already. So I do expect that people updated based on what they saw in South Carolina. It's going to be really hard for us to track that for Tuesday just because there weren't many polls in the field. But given where Georgia's proclivities already were, there was nothing in Joe Biden's performances that would have suggested that, you know, perhaps people should rethink their choice. So I actually don't I expect that he's going to do well here. I expect he's going to do well in Alabama um, and Tennessee tomorrow. Um, You know, I expect he will do well. Um, I don't know how well we'll see what the margin 
Biden looks like in Virginia and North Carolina as well. You know, Ellen, I think there are a lot of people here, political leaders, Democrats, like uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, kind of holding their breaths uh, over whether Joe Biden was going to be coming into Georgia with a head of steam after his poor performance in the earlier uh, caucuses and primaries. But now, at least as early voting gets underway here, uh, they can uh, breathe a sigh of relief and get re-energized around me. Well, I shouldn't say re-energized. Some of them never lost their energy. But now they can really go right. all out for him. Well, a week showing by Biden in South Carolina, I think, would have been pretty devastating. Uh, either a loss there or a very narrow victory would, would have, you know, so I think hurt his chances here. Uh, there's still time between now and it, there will be early voting, of course, but there's still quite a bit of time until Election Day here. Yeah. So we'll be getting a lot more results, Super Tuesday and other primaries. And the other thing that changes now uh, in Georgia and in the, other, in the Super Tuesday states is we have Bloomberg yeah. on the ballot. That's and right. Of course, it was not on the ballot in South Carolina, but something interesting is that in the um, exit poll, when they asked voters in South Carolina their opinions of the candidates, they included Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. And Bloomberg was viewed by far more negatively mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. any of the other Democratic candidates. So that does not, I think, augur very well for his chances in Georgia and some of the other southern states at least. Amy, Audrey, you want to jump in on the early voting and what, and what we expect to see in, in, as Georgia voters start to head to the polls? Well, I think one of the interesting things also is sort of the big news of what happened both. Uh, so Saturday night, we saw Steyer drop out of the race. Mm -hmm. He put in a lot of money into South Carolina and it did not really pay off for him. Um, so he's dropped out and he had been pulling sort of OK in Georgia. But I mean, it's enough that it makes a difference there. Um, and the other person, of course, is Buttigieg, who dropped out last night. And I think, you know, there's there's at least a lot of talk that he is likely to endorse Biden and really start to campaign for him and hope that a lot of his supporters will go over there. And I think that could potentially do a shift as if, you know, there's been this whole discussion of will we start to see the moderates coalesce around a single candidate? Um, and this suggests we're starting to see that in a lot. But the, the only thing that's interesting there, though, is that there have been a, at least a couple of polls that have asked people, you know, based on who your, you know, your first choice is, who's your second choice. And what is actually really interesting is that the second choice for Buttigieg voters is actually pretty evenly split between Biden and Warren, yeah. um, which is not how you would normally think that that would go. But so that's going to be interesting to see what actually yeah. does happen and, there. And oh. Sanders gets some, too. There are, he there are a few yeah, of them he gets in there, too. too. Mm -hmm. hey, hey, Audrey, let me ask you a question and then please say what you also wanted to say, which is one of the things that happens uh, starting this week is all of us who are really political crazy will begin paying attention to a website that started a couple of years back, which keeps track of early voting in uh, counties around state. Jim, who's the... Who's the guy who started that, and what's it called? Do you remember off the top of your head? Oh, no, I'm going to have – no, you've tapped you've, okay. you called well, me unawares Well, there. you know what? When but we, we all love him. Yes. We may forget mm -hmm. the name, but we love him. We love him because he's the one who is accumulating all the material on early voting, and we're going to start to get a sense of – how the turnout is going early on. How enthusiastic are people about going to the polls? Well, and that goes to the point I was going to make is that, you know, right now in the Democratic primaries in particular, when we think about early voters, you know, this is a voting behavior thing. People who absolutely know who they love and they want to get out there and cast that vote are going to cast that vote. People who have really strong preferences. But I would venture that there are plenty of people who are the type of people who'd be engaged, who are paying attention and 
And there's still a little bit of uncertainty. The fact that in South Carolina that Clyburn gave that endorsement was something that pushed some people who might have been a little uncertain, and they're looking for some of those cues. And we might see some more because we saw in Virginia, we saw a couple more endorsements come in from people. And people who are sort of sitting and waiting, we're going to start seeing them come out and, and potentially push more because the narrative has changed a little bit where instead of just observing passively, people are a little bit more concerned about the race and the outcome and the impact that Sanders will have. And I guarantee you one thing I'm noticing in the news narrative, there are a few more stories that are talking about Sanders' economic models, untested economic models, where they come from, more details about that. And that will have an impact just like Um, Amy Klobuchar had an incident the other night in Minnesota that is likely going to impact her race. Small pieces of information may have more of an impact because of the uncertainty. That's Uh, and you have to you have to if I could jump in here. Sure. You have to you have to wonder uh, what uh, uh, what the how many whether whether early voting is going to be uh, affected by the fact that you've got a whole raft of candidates who might not be in the race yeah. as mm-hmm. of March 24th. Yeah, that's going to be mm-hmm. really fascinating yeah. to watch. Uh, by the way, uh, it, I was we were talking about Ryan Anderson. That's he does digital marketing. Oh, I, I, yes. His yeah. website is called Georgia Votes. That's real it. simple, georgiavotes.com. And it really is worth uh, looking at because he does such a fine job of accumulating uh, uh, early voting. And thank you. Numbers. Let's all say thank you. Yeah, we, we appreciate thank you. it. Right. Thank so you. Much. Um, yeah. All right. So we're going to talk more about where we're heading uh, coming out of South Carolina. But but before we get to that, the other big thing, of course, that's happening here in Georgia starting this week is nine o'clock today. It's already begun. Um, the uh, qualifying for all the state races uh, is underway here. It goes through Friday. And that includes, of course, the special U.S. Senate election, uh, which will be held on the same day as the November general election, November 3rd. We already know that uh, this morning uh, we expect John Ossoff in Senate race number one to qualify. Um, uh, David Perdue is going to be there. They've already announced their plans. Uh, Doug Doug Collins has just signed up. He was like the first in line, apparently. Right, and John John Lewis is on his way. <laughs> oh, John Lewis is coming in straight from Selma and the commemoration of uh, the Edmund Pettus Bridge crossing. Um, but you know what else? Let's talk a little bit about this because it's fascinating. We're going to watch how many people show up today. Kelly Leffler is expected to qualify today. But, Andra, let's talk about what's going on with Leffler and Collins they're, you know, as long as we're, you know, talking about the Senate race, of course, they're competing for Senate race number two. Leffler is the appointed senator, uh, thanks to Brian Kemp, but has to run in this jungle race on November 3rd. Doug Collins jumps into the race after she's been appointed. Uh, and, and, you know, based on our talking to him here, seemed to be a little bit angry about the fact he wasn't chosen for the job and is determined that he's the true conservative, that he's done the work required and he deserves, he deserved to be uh, Kemp's choice. And even though he wasn't, he's not going to let anything uh, keep him from going ahead and qualifying. Fair enough? I think that's fair. Okay. So with that in mind, um, here's a guy who's been a champion of Trump from the beginning of the administration. And the Leffler people, including the Republican Senate Campaign Committee uh, and other 
uh, conservative groups have decided to go after Collins in the fiercest way imaginable. Well, so let's play an ad that was just released that um, essentially accuses Collins of being, and you'll hear the language, a conservative, a convenient conservative. Doug Collins wants you to think he's a conservative, but before a Senate seat opened up last August, he was far less supportive of President Trump. Do I support everything that he says and does? No, nobody does. There's some I don't agree with, but Trump's decided to do that. I think it's very concerning, frankly. He's longtime friends with Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams and I are, are good friends. Anti-Trump impeachment manager, Hakeem Jeffries. One of my best friends in Congress is Hakeem Jeffries. To do something with Hakeem Jeffries? Isn't he the guy like pushing impeachment at Trump? But well, I, I can't remember. It's, it all confuses me. And President Obama. Groups like Conservative Review have given him failing grades, and pro-life organizations in Georgia say that he can't be trusted, and his word means nothing. Don't let D.C. Doug Collins fool you. He'll do whatever it takes to get a promotion. Georgia deserves better. All right, Alan, I mean, we've all seen a lot of political advertising that, that makes statements about people that are hard to prove. <laughs> I have never quite seen a repackaging effort uh, like the one that yeah. we are now dealing with here. Well, Collins has been viewed certainly as one of President Trump's strongest supporters in, in, in the Congress. And, and we saw that in the, during the impeachment controversy. I mean, he's voted down the line w with Trump. Uh, so it's pretty remarkable to see this effort to rebrand him as some sort of closet liberal. You know, he's a good friend of, of Obama. He's a good friend of Stacey Abrams and things like that. So uh, I, just, I just don't know how much credibility this is going to have because he has a well-established reputation as a strong conservative. And, and I can see where this kind of advertising may very well back. I wondered that, Audrey. He's um, there already. If you look at the Twitter uh, response to this or the Facebook response to this ad, you've got some grassroots conservatives out there like a Debbie Dooley who are furious about this effort to change who Doug Collins has been. And the question is, will it backfire? Well, we were talking about that earlier. And uh, if you go through Twitter, there are... Um, Several individuals uh, who are quite influential that are talking about that, they're Collins supporters. And potentially, my big question is, who is this ad aimed at, right? You know, what is it assuming about Georgia voters who are going to be voting in this election? Are they so outside of reality? Have they not paid attention to any politics that they would look at this? And, you know, we talk about cam to campaign operatives all the time. And they have some pretty sharp people who work for them. So, I mean, it's really a question. I mean, I'm really curious. Andrew? So I don't think this ad is effective, and I completely disagree with it. I think I want to try to offer maybe why they're doing this. So the idea of labeling Doug Collins D.C. Doug Collins is trying to create that contrast between being a, a Beltway insider versus being an outsider. And so Leffler is, is is trying to make that case. I mean, if you see in her ad, I've only been in Washington a few weeks and yep. it's worse than you think. Right. So she's trying to establish that type of distance. And so I'm thinking of Richard Fino and thinking of sort of the idea of when you go home, you're like, I'm of you. I'm not of those people. I mean, you see, and that's only become more acute over time. Um, and then also it is trying to tap into tribalism. So this idea that you can't view the other side as being human. And, you know, mm -hmm. of course, he and Akeem Jeffries know each other. They sit on the Judiciary Committee together. Right. They have to work mm -hmm. together. Um, 
So, like, these are, are, are things that I think they're trying to uh, tie into. You know, the other ones that get me are the Club for Growth ads, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where they are invoking race, actually, by talking about the First Step Act and then sort of the sponsorship of the Second Step Act. It's like, well, you know President Trump signed that into law, right? <laughs> and brags about it, right? Um, and also, <clears throat> and, and I think for, for Leffler, this is a weird thing. Like, she's not going to win. Neither of them is going to get the lion's share of the African-American vote. But if you want to push that vote up a little bit, then I would suggest not going after criminal justice reform. Um, that's just a really, really stupid idea because most people kind of agree that the criminal justice system is unfair and that sentencing has been unfair. Yeah, Jim, I, 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 let me, Jim, let me bring you in and then Amy, I want to give you a chance to. Um, one of the things this ad says to me, and this is not, by the way, a Leffler campaign ad. This is an independent expenditure. But um, nevertheless... I think it does tell us that the way, given that Kelly Leffler has no record at all on any of these conservative issues that she will be certainly running on, uh, the best way to deal with that is to attack your opponent as not really standing for the conservative issues that she herself has not yet been able to prove are part of who she is. Yeah, there, there are a couple of things. Uh, 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 Audrey was, was wondering who the ad was aimed at. I would... First of all, I, I would re- let us let's remember that this the first vote on this is coming up on November third, and and you're not aiming specifically at a Republican, uh, your regular Republican primary voter who knows Doug Collins. You're trying to reach the voter who doesn't know anything about uh, uh, Doug Collins, who 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 is not part of Metro Atlanta, who is who is who is not familiar with 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 Hall County or or North Georgia politics. I think that's who you're trying to to get at, and you know the one thing I would I would note is that uh, that we uh, last week we had the passage of a, a U.S. House anti lynching bill, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 it was uh, I think only only four four House members voted against it. Three were Republican. Doug Collins supported it, and not only did he support, support it, he came out in favor of it, and he said he had one criticism of it. He said it wasn't strong enough. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, development for him. He, I think, he basically, mm-hmm. since he's on, uh, the ranking member of judiciary, he, he was he uh, led that was one of the leaders of that effort on the floor. And, and Jim's quite right; he did say it should be even tougher than it already is. But go ahead and make your point, Amy. Well, I was going to say. So, I mean, we're watching the ad, and I'll admit that my first reaction was just simply to laugh. Right. Because it's funny that anyone would ever suggest that, you know, Doug Collins is a convenient conservative. He's been very clear on that. But then I was really struck by sort of going off of the points that Andre was making. The only people that were mentioned in the ad that he was supposedly being all friendly with that were bad were black. I mean, it was very much sort of laying out that of putting that right and especially talking about the criminal justice was again right in many ways is also an interesting attack because Georgia is one of the leaders in criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. We revised the juvenile code. We revised the broader code. A lot of the First Step Act was based upon what was that. And that was led by the well-known crazy liberal Former Governor Nathan Deal. <laughs> and so, again, this idea that, like, somehow this is this, like, horrible thing that you've teamed up not only with two people, right, two males that are black, but they've got sort of funny names. I mean, it really is sort of tying into these baser instincts that are really kind of scary, given especially how large the voting base is in Georgia and that they want to try to yep. expand, again, right, their, right the, the outreach in the Republican Party, not only to women, but also to blacks and other men. That's clearly not what they're trying to do with this ad at all. No, exactly. I mean, this this is just purely aimed at trying to get 
their candidate through that first yeah. round of, of, of the jungle primary, and then they'll worry about, you know, the runoff after yeah. that. Except, yeah. Alan, and yes, I'm being facetious here, but except the way they're defining Doug Collins, um, he's going to become a popular Democratic <laughs> candidate in the jungle race if they're not That's careful. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Bill. If, yes, if, Jim. Um, one thing I would I would point out that that in, in, when it comes to using uh, imagery, I mean, there has been, I mean, immediately after Kelly Loeffler's name was floated, there was that photo of, of her on a basketball court with, uh, with Stacey yes. Abrams uh, during the 2018 uh, uh, gubernatorial uh, race. So this could be also a kind of a form of inoculation. Okay. Uh, let's do this. Why don't we get our first break of the show out of the way and move on. Uh, let's talk about what happened in South Carolina on Saturday, what we think it means about what's going to happen in uh, tomorrow on the biggest election day of the year so far. Um, and we'll do that after we pause for these messages. This is Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Jim Galloway, Bill Nygut, and the A-Team in uh, the studio to talk uh, presidential politics, among other things. All right, let's talk uh, South Carolina. First, Jim, uh, we already know this. Saturday was a huge day for Joe Biden. It had to be, or else his campaign would have been in uh, jeopardy of having to shut down. Biden wins 48 percent of the vote, beating Bernie Sanders, who came in second, more than far more than doubling the Sanders vote. Um, who, Sanders had 20 percent to Biden's 48 percent. Steyer, very distant third. Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar was down at 3 percent. Um, so Joe, Joe Biden suddenly, Jim, uh, believes that this revives his campaign. I think there ought to be a question mark after that. But for the time being, it's a good thing for the for the uh, Biden people. Right. Right, right. No, no. It's 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 the only thing that that, yeah. that could have saved him. Uh, and and I think uh, I think uh, uh, we all should recognize the 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 remarkable influence that Jim Clyburn has now, uh, and and will continue ha- to have, especially if Biden does uh, does become the nominee. Uh, he'll have a, he'll have a great say so of what uh, over what happens next. Uh, I, but this is look. This is the first first uh, uh, democratic primary uh, d- democratic contest that actually reflects the base of the party, mm-hmm. uh, and it looks very very much like Georgia. Yeah. Uh, uh, outside, uh, except except maybe Georgia may be more so because our, our because we have Atlanta. Yeah, um, Andra, I was struck by a phrase that Biden used in his victory speech Saturday night in which he talked uh, to an African-American audience and called them the heart of the Democratic Party. I mean, African-Americans make up at least a fifth of the party. Um, And so, um, you know, they are the most loyal Democratic voting bloc. So you're not going to get any other constituency that's going to vote 90 percent plus Democratic or thereabouts, give or take a couple of percentage points. Um, And so if you can't win the African-American vote, then you can't win the nomination. And you certainly can't count on having enthusiasm for this group to kind of carry you in. Um, And if we think of the 
those roughly 78,000 votes that Hillary Clinton lost by in uh, in Wisconsin and in Michigan and in Philadelphia. You know, you could make the case that if they had done better GOTV in heavily black cities like uh, Detroit and like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Milwaukee, right, that that could have been the difference between Hillary Clinton winning the Electoral College and not. Yeah. Um, Audrey, I think um, these are 100 percent of the totals. Um Black voters represent about 56 percent of the vote in South Carolina, and uh, 61 percent of them voted, <clears throat> excuse me, for Joe Biden. <clears throat> Interestingly, though, I thought 17 percent voted for Bernie Sanders, which does give him a little something to build on moving forward into other states. I think I'd love to hear the rest of the panel on that. I might be wrong. Well, so the story with Bernie Sanders' um, black support is it's primarily young, 35 mm -hmm. and under probably is a good estimate. Not even 35. Not even 35, <laughs> even younger. So I've seen some mm -hmm. different things. But, you know, other candidates, um, especially Biden, do much, much better. Um, so he's got those those younger voters. But I would argue um, one of the things to look for is there are about maybe four other states where the uh, black vote is as substantial as it was in South Carolina for the Democratic primaries. And, of course, Biden is expected to do well there. It's the reason that Buttigieg dropped out. He realized he doesn't have right. a path to victory without being able to bring in some of those votes. I mentioned Amy Klobuchar earlier. Uh, she's having issues in her own state with Black Lives Matter, and that could have an impact. And Bloomberg himself, you know, this is, the, this is the interesting thing about South Carolina. He got in because he thought Biden was going to just flop. So Biden has a bit of right. momentum. Mm -hmm. And so is he going to reevaluate? That'll be a question. Uh, Ellen, I think the, the Sanders campaign is making an argument that the African-American vote in some of these other states is somewhat is going to be a little bit different from the African-American vote in South Carolina. Uh, this was an, an older African-American vote. If you look at the age breakdown yeah. of mm -hmm. the South Carolina electorate, I mean, it was predominantly an older electorate. Yep. Uh, only a fairly small percentage, I think 11 percent were under the age of 30. Uh, smaller than in some of these other states. You've got that exactly right. And, and, Eleven percent, mm -hmm. seventeen so to twenty-nine. It's possible when we look at states like North Carolina and Virginia, uh, and black the black vote in Texas and and uh, Arkansas. It may look a little bit different. I think Alabama is going to look pretty similar to, to, South, to South Carolina to South older Carolina. voters. The other really interesting thing we're seeing here is if we compare what happened in Nevada with what happened in South Carolina. Nevada was a caucus state, but. You had a large Latino vote in Nevada, mm -hmm. and it went decisively for Sanders. Mm -hmm. And so now we're, what we're seeing, and, and we're seeing this emerging in some of the polling as well in California and Texas, Sanders is doing very well with Latino mm -hmm. voters. Mm -hmm. uh, Biden is doing very well with African-American voters. We're seeing this divide now uh, between the two largest you know, minority voting blocs within the Democratic coalition. That's a very interesting yeah. dynamic here. And the Latino vote is a very young Mm -hmm. vote too. Um, Amy? Well, and I think just sort of going off of that, I think we've got sort of two things. I mean, some of it is going to be the turnout. I mean, Sanders has argued that what he's going to be able to do is particularly bring in sort of new voters, sort of energize that by what are they, the Gen Z uh, voters to bring them in. Because remember, the the millennials, it, it's kind of scary. The millennials actually now are like well into their late 30s, if not 40s. 40. They're nowhere near as young as people think that they are. Now, they still are not voting at numbers that are particularly good. But they still that's, look young to me. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then they're the group that is going more for Sanders, but we're not seeing this sort of rise in that group. And again, when it comes with Latino voters, you know, you've got he's got those strong numbers, but they have to actually turn out and go vote in all of these other yep. places. And so I think that's going to be also where we see um, some joke. Again, I think the other issue is going to be what happens now with, right, some of the voters like the Steyer voters, right, who actually he was able to get, you know, decent numbers um, with minorities. Are those now going to shift more? Are they going to go back to Biden or are they going to be going to somebody else? Yeah, um, let's. OK, so let's talk about fallout. Uh, Jim, uh, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, saw no path forward. We've already mentioned that uh, because for many reasons, uh, it's not that he was out of money. He had money. Uh, he wasn't going to be able to win. He made a concerted effort with African-American voters in South Carolina, really worked hard, hoping that he could convert them. It didn't happen. And uh, so uh, Buttigieg last night uh, did this. After a year of going everywhere, meeting everyone, defying every expectation, seeking every vote, the truth is that the path has narrowed to a close for our candidacy, if not for our cause. And we have a responsibility to consider the effect of remaining in this race any further. Our goal has always been to help unify Americans to defeat Donald Trump and to win the era for our values. And so we must recognize that at this point in the race, the best way to keep faith with those goals and ideals is to step aside and help bring our party and our country together. So tonight, I am making the difficult decision to suspend my campaign for the presidency. But I will do everything in my power to ensure that we have a new Democratic president come January. Jim, there were commentators last night and this morning who were saying the youngster, the 38-year-old youngest candidate in the race, was the first adult in the effort because he acknowledged he wasn't going to win. And he has now said, my job is to try to help unite the party. You know, uh, and, and this came after he had breakfast with Jimmy Carter and yes, Rosalind yeah, yes, down, his down sec- in Plains. Yeah, his second visit to the Carters, actually. Too. Right, and people were wondering what, what Carter might have said to it. And, you know, and, and what, what, this, what that breakfast reminded me of, uh, think back to 1990. And when Carter went down to Nicaragua to talk to President Daniel Ortega to per, uh, persuade him to accept the results of an election in which he lost. Mm-hmm. And and he kind of emphasized the the, the virtue virtue that can come and 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 the benefits of a graceful exit, and I I think that's what we saw with Buttigieg. Buttigieg is he's he's not as he said he's not gone. Yeah. He is just he has he has suspended his ambition. So uh, uh, we're we're going to hear we're going to hear a lot he, from him. Yeah, Andre, he remains a, a force in this cycle, and of course he's thirty eight years old. He's done nothing but improve his future with the Democratic Party by kind of falling on his sword early. Yeah, I mean, and one, it was the classy thing to do. It was also the pragmatic thing to do, right? You can't keep on performing sub-10 and, like, expect that this is actually going to work out for you in the long run just because you have money. Um, I hope some of the rich people who are still in the race kind of keep that in mind um, if it works out the way it may work out tomorrow. um, For them. Um, But it was really interesting. So I was watching Meet the Press, so he was on Meet the Press. And at first, when I saw that he was in America, so I was like, okay, why aren't you in Alabama? That's, mm-hmm. This yeah. is weird. Um, but to see his tone, I mean, there was certainly a certain air of humility and a certain realness that I appreciated. And I think 
Pete Buttigieg's problem, aside from being too young and not having statewide office and other kinds of things that I think can be corrected in in time, um, he sometimes has come off as a little too instrumental. And part of me was a little cynical, wondering if he was angling for a VP uh, nod. But there was also just a, this is you being a real person. And I actually appreciated that. Yeah. Um, I think I'm right, and we'll check this. I do think he left Plains and, and went, went to, to Selma. Selma. He just, we don't want to create the impression that he didn't. Right, but I just thought it was okay. weird. I mean, my reaction yeah. at 1030 right. in the morning was... Um, you, right. you knew something yeah. was going on. Well, it wasn't, yeah. I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I was like, you know that there's like mm-hmm. a... We, we're not for another three weeks, dude. Like, I think you need to be in another state. You should just go next door. Well, as long as we're talking Selma, uh, at least, Audrey... Uh, Buttigieg did not face the embarrassment that Mike Bloomberg did when he showed up. He at first mm-hmm. did not accept an invitation to be in Selma and finally said, OK, I'll go. And when he got to church, there were members of the congregation who ter- stood up and turned their backs to him. This is not really the way you want to go into Super Tuesday the first day you're on ballots. <laughs> no, that um, that visual is very uh, detrimental. And, and this goes to Bloomberg right now. So again, you know, talking about that uncertainty, those types of cues for people who are paying attention and a lot of the voters who haven't made up their mind are those moderate white voters who are sitting there going, who is going to be best positioned to beat Donald Trump? Yep. And I'm not so sure. I was excited about Bloomberg, saw his nice, shiny ads. They look good. But then when I met him in person, eh. (laughs) And I don't think it's just moderate white voters. I think it's moderate African-American voters Mm because that's Mm -hmm. the bulk of your moderate kind of to conservative wing of the party. And Bloomberg has not acquitted himself well in debates. He's been really defensive about stuff he should have just apologized for. Mm -hmm. And that is not giving people kind of that's not giving people comfort at all. So especially if you thought Joe Biden was imploding and that Bloomberg was going to be your replacement. Right. Bloomberg looks shaky. So you're just yep. like, you know what? Might as well stick with Joe Biden. Biden's at least not I that know bad. Him. Exactly. And yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think the other thing we're seeing here is that what we know from research on the effects of campaign spending in elections is that there's a point of diminishing returns on That's campaign spending. That's my research. Spending. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and it's right. And, and we, we, we're seeing that here, that, you know, saturated the airwaves. Now everyone kind of has, has seen your ads. They know who you, who you are. Um, but but it's sort of it's a plateau, and, and, and he's, he's, hit, that, he's yep. hit that ceiling, and I don't think all the spending he can do is like that three-minute ad that, that he paid for on the, on the coronavirus. You know, I just don't think it added anything beyond what he's already gotten. And, and with Biden doing so well in South Carolina, that really hurts him. Yeah. But he could help himself if he stopped promoting himself and started promoting the Democratic. Uh, well, that's well, what he, he said he's, he's going to do yeah. that. And that he's terribly effective at. I mean, mm-hmm. we know this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen a number of people that he's been able to help. But I do think there you know, is something into that where, I mean, so the his three-minute coronavirus ad, he is excellent when reading off of a script. It came across very well. It struck the right tone. That is not necessarily the tone that he struck in any of the debates. Instead, there were a lot of ways in which he came across as, I think, to a lot of people, condescending. I totally agree with Andra that there were certain things that, number one, he should have been ready for questions about, and second, should have just been ready to apologize and not be, you know, to fight on it. And then on Corona, and I will admit, I had to take a speaker out to dinner last night, so I didn't get a chance to watch it. Well, I'm going to play you just a little of it. That's awesome. Yeah, because I tried to keep it on my TV and like we got home so late. So um, 
what was so interesting about it is it's like it wasn't like Joe Biden wasn't involved in Ebola. So like it's like it's not like mm-hmm. you're the only person yeah. who's ever handled a crisis before. Yeah. Exactly. I All right. Let's do that. Um, so for those who uh, weren't aware of this, last night, Mike Bloomberg uh, spent one point five million at least. That's an estimate. It may have been more than that to buy three minutes of time on CBS TV network and NBC network. I mean, you know, it's funny. I go back to my younger years when there were, when we did see candidates who would buy like 30 Mm -hmm. minutes of time in the final days of Mm -hmm. the race to uh, make their case. We haven't seen that sort of thing, especially with networks, given the dominance of cable in politics now. But Bloomberg bought uh, this time. He didn't address in a setting that was an attempt to sort of, in soft focus, look mm-hmm. a bit like could have been the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. And um, it's clear that what he simply wanted to do was contrast how he would handle a crisis uh, like coronavirus compared to the way he believes it's being mishandled today. So let's just listen to a little of what he said. Good evening. I know this has been a very worrisome week for many Americans. The coronavirus is spreading and the economy is taking a hit. Markets have fallen because of uncertainty. At times like this, it's the job of the president to reassure the public that he or she is taking all the necessary steps to protect the health and well-being of every citizen. The public wants to know their leader is trained, informed, and respected. When a problem arises, they want someone in charge who can marshal facts and expertise to confront the problem. I was first elected just weeks after the attack on 9-11, a massive rebuilding security and health challenge. In my 12 years in office, I dealt with a hurricane, a blackout, attempted terror attacks, the West Nile virus, and swine flu. Each crisis is different, but they all require steady leadership, team building, and preparation. As Americans, we've faced many challenges before, and we have overcome them together by looking out for one another. And I'm confident that is how we will get through this one as well. So, Jim, for those Democrats, largely, who uh, feel tired of <coughs> the fact that they don't see in President uh, Trump the ability to focus and, and uh, really uh, uh, be the kind of leader they want, uh, this Bloomberg speech was very effective as far as it went. Yeah, you, you know... I, I, personally, I think who he was speaking to were, were disaffected Republicans, and 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 it's it's interesting uh, because one one of the things I'm looking for is 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 how many Republicans have actually abandoned their party and are now switching and voting as either as independents or Democrats. I, I don't think we we saw any hard numbers on the on any any hard data points on that out of South Carolina. It, we had an exit poll that said. Maybe five percent of 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 the electorate uh, describe themselves as as Republicans, but uh, that that to me that to me is is that that was it was a, a really well spoken uh, three minutes directed at people who wish they had somebody else who had something else in the, in, in the Oval Office. All right, yeah, I think the other thing we saw in the exit poll in South Carolina is that uh, the African American share of the Democratic primary electorate was a little bit lower. This time, right. the overall turnout was about the same yeah. actually as in 2008, and was up quite a bit from 2016. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that 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 suggests some some white Republican. Y- uh, yeah, defection. the white share was was uh, uh, higher than it than it was four years ago. The black share was 56 percent as opposed to I think 61 percent. That's not a big change, but 
but it, it you know might indicate something's going yeah, on. It is there. suggesting twenty six percent were independent or something else, and five percent Republican. Okay, uh, let's do this. Let's take our final break of the show, and when we come back, let's let's do let's, let's take an overview of what Super Tuesday tomorrow is uh, looking like, and uh, where we think uh, various candidates are headed in the races across fifteen states. Uh, this is Political Rewind. Dr. Amy Steigerwald, Dr. Andre Gillespie, Dr. Audrey Haynes, Dr. Alan Abramowitz, our A-team, and Jim Galloway and I with you for Political Rewind today. Okay, so uh, Super Tuesday, tomorrow, 14 states plus American Samoa, thank you, Dr. Abramowitz, for pointing it out to me, and <laughs> Democrats abroad uh, get to vote. Of course, the big cash, California, 415 delegates at stake there. Texas second with 228. Some southern states, North Carolina, Virginia uh, in the mix. Alabama, Arkansas are all in the mix. So and then there are more, and we'll talk about them with some of the time we have left. But here's an interesting point that I want to make, um, perfect political science uh, question. So 538, you know, uh, has does great, I think, great data crunching. And they're paying particular attention right now to California, where Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. has devoted a year plus of his time to building organization, to pouring money into the state in many ways. And if he comes out of California with a lion's share of the 415 right. uh, delegates, it, it's trouble for the rest of the field. Right. So the question becomes... Whether Joe Biden, who doesn't have the resources to compete the way Sanders has, or any other candidate can eat into the delegate total. Here's the news that 538 just moved. 538, in their new formula, their new calculation says, we've got Biden up to 25% of the vote in our California forecast. That's vote share, not win probability. Some of that is anticipated bounce from South Carolina and gains from Mayor Pete dropping out. But recent California polls have also shown growth for him. All right, Alan, if that's the case, uh, then Biden really does have a chance to steal some of those yeah. delegates. That's very important for him. He needs to be above that 15 yeah, exactly. percent threshold uh, it, at the statewide level and in as many of the congressional districts as possible to cut into Sanders' lead, because otherwise, Sanders could win the overwhelming majority, right. you know, close to all of the delegates coming out of California, and that would give him a huge margin in the delegate count uh, after Super Tuesday. So California is crucial for that, and Biden needs to do reasonably well. Uh, you know, in Texas is the other big place where he's closer to Sanders, uh, but, but again, uh, very large Latino vote, and we're apparently very high early voting going on in Texas. So those are the two states that are going to, you know, have by far the biggest impact. But then, you know, Biden does obviously have a good chance to do well in some of the southern states. He needs to do well in those southern states uh, and cut into uh, Sanders' overall delegate margin. Yeah. I think there's no question that Sanders is going to have the lead in the delegate count after Super Tuesday. It's just a question of how big a lead is he going to, is he going to have, how big a margin over Biden will be second, and how close is he, you know, to getting to that 50 percent a point where where he can win the nomination on the first ballot. I don't think he'll be that close to 50 percent. Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, the other thing that 538 has right now, and I know there's been dissension about this in this room with these people. 
538 now puts the chances that no one has the 1,900-plus delegates you need uh, when they get to the convention at three to f- three out of five. <laughs> yeah. They think it's more than a 50 percent chance that none of the candidates are going to have the delegates yeah. they need that to That doesn't go over necessarily mean a multi-ballot convention, though. Right. Yes. Oh, no, no. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it depends on how close— Right. Uh, the front runner, presumably Sanders, but we'll see. But you know how close you are, you are to fifty percent. If you're above, you know, say forty-five percent plus, then uh, then I think first ballot nomination is still very likely. All right. Um, so, Andra, everybody's going to try to pick off congressional uh, districts in various states or win whole states. So we've already kind of mentioned it. Certainly, Biden is going to try to win southern states, mm-hmm. right? And the chances of his being able to pull that off. North Carolina is a little questionable. Sanders has a lot of support in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. But we've got to figure Alabama, Arkansas, he should perform well in in the southern states in general, yeah? So, I mean, I'm assuming he's going to get a boost. Yeah. Before Saturday, um, I was hearing horror stories um, from Arkansas in particular about a lack of organization. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. 100% sure about how that was going to work out. Um, And, I mean, even if we think about sort of places where Bernie Sanders won, Bernie Sanders actually won in interesting places like Oklahoma in 2016. Mm -hmm. So I think that there are places that we think of as conservative, but we have to think that the Democratic base there actually looks a little bit different. I think that this is a question of, of just margins. And so, yeah, Biden's not going to win everything on Tuesday. Sanders isn't going to win everything tomorrow. But if they can keep the margins close because of sort of a roughly proportional allocation um, of delegates, that's what actually can kind of keep Biden in the hunt. And so I think the big question is, is that how narrow those margins are in those big states um, and whether or not there are congressional yep. districts that might be more likely to lean Biden. And potentially can Warren in some places mm-hmm. pull some of that support and limit uh, right. mm-hmm. Bernie, because like in California, she's at 16 percent right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's she doesn't have a lot of momentum going into Super Tuesday, but she did raise a lot of money and mm-hmm. she's got her pack. Yeah, it's but not she, really her she, pack. it, it might be. Yeah. What, yeah. Well, the, mm-hmm. you just create, you know, pose what I think could be a fascinating scenario if she's able to get past the 15 percent threshold in California. At the same time, she loses Massachusetts to Bernie Sanders, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a possibility based on the polls that she could lose her own state. You're basically suggesting, talk about falling on your sword. You keep Sanders from winning the delegates that he would like in California, but you're not you don't have enough to stay in the race anymore. Oh, that is is really interesting. Except she's made it very clear. And, you know, whether or not, you know, this is a good plan or not, I don't know. But I mean, she's made it clear that her goal is to stay in the race Mm -hmm. as long as possible to clear at least that 15 percent benchmark out of those delegates and then be the one for right. If there is not, in fact, right, a majority, we have a plurality. We have to go to a second ballot to say, like, wait, you know. You want some what, you bargaining want, you want some power. consensus. I'm I'm over here now. If that I don't know if that's a good strategy, that's, and I don't know how much she can strategy. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know that she can really keep it going honestly past Super Tuesday. I, don't I think, think so. if she doesn't do well, I don't, I don't I mean, think so. I think the only way it works is if she gets above the fifteen percent threshold. I think she's and, out. She's is, out. Klobuchar's out Biden after Super Tuesday for a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think there that's are a couple of things since it was Black folks who invented leverage strategies. You got to get in second place in order for that to actually matter. Right. Exactly. And so if you're like in third and fourth place, then nobody cares. But 
but I mean, you know, the other reason that Warren might have to stay in is something could happen health wise to Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. and she wants to be the alternative. And yes. so I know that it's crass and I know that it's cynical, mm-hmm. but I would appreciate her just being honest and saying, I don't know if this Bernie thing is going to work out for him because he's 78. <laughs> so just in case I'm waiting in the wings, like that's really what's Wait. going on here. And I wish she would just be honest and say so. I, I, I think I, that's I, Tulsi Gabbard's strategy. Just to okay, stay then, in at 1%. No. I, I think that uh, what I'm going to be watching for tomorrow uh, uh, really, really is going to one, one of the biggest uh, uh, questions tomorrow. I think is going to be how Bloomberg does, mm-hmm. uh, and, and because the, the the better he does, you know, he's going to he's he's definitely cutting into Biden's vote. Yeah, and, and I think that if he fades, uh, if we see him really fading, and with already some indications in some of the polling that he is mm-hmm. fading, uh, th- then it's going to work to the advantage of Biden. That will help Biden to uh, win a b- bigger share of the delegates. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he Jim, doesn't get above fifteen. Yeah. If you, Jim, if you want a, if you want a perfect example of the exigencies of American politics, think about the fact that just a week or so ago, uh, coming out of Nevada, uh, people were saying, "Oh my gosh, you know, Biden's never, Biden's in big trouble." Um, our hope now has got to be Mike Bloomberg as the moderate who can take down Bernie Sanders. And now we come out of South Carolina and it's like, oh, my gosh, Bernie. I mean, uh, uh, Mike Bloomberg is really hurting Joe Biden as he attempts to move forward. That's that's why we love politics, Jim. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I had um, on, on Friday, I had a, I had a conversation with Calvin Smyre. He's uh, out of Columbus. He's in the state capitol. Uh, he's kind of Biden's. Uh, after after Keisha Lance Bottoms, he's Biden's top guy here, and he was making it very very clear uh, that 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 Bloomberg wasn't going to be the alternative to the Biden camp. That that vote was going to go elsewhere. It might go to Klobuchar. It might go to Warren. But if 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 Biden had collapsed, it wasn't going to go to Bloomberg, which I thought was very interesting, given what what Alan just said. Bloom, Bloomberg's been able to pick off some endorsements from some African American. You know, mm-hmm. elected officials here here in uh, Georgia, n- notably Mike, Michael Thurmond. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly uh, right. And, and, and here in, De- here in, De- in DeKalb County, I was going to say here, but we're not in DeKalb mm-hmm. County here. Yeah. But um, so, but, but you know, I don't think it's going to end up helping him very much. When we get to the Georgia primary, I suspect that um, Bloomberg's not going to be a big factor. What's interesting, Andra, about the negatives um, in uh, for Bloomberg in the exit polling in South Carolina that we yes he was not on the ballot there no he did not run ads in South Carolina but an awful lot of South Carolina voters saw the ads that he was running extensively in Savannah in Augusta so a good percentage mm-hmm. of South Carolinians before they went to the polls and came out and said we don't like this guy. Uh, they were seeing the message that, that Bloomberg was trying to get out. Yeah, I mean, they're seeing the message, and then they're also, like, they saw the debates. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, if he had had a strong debate performance, I think this would be a different dynamic. But, yeah, I mean, I think Elizabeth Warren got in some good body blows. Is like, mm-hmm. you know, we don't like people who change parties every five yeah. minutes. <laughs> um, and we don't like people who try to buy their way into elections. Yeah. So, um yeah, no, I mean, it's unfortunate. I hope this is a hard lesson. I hope he learns the lesson that I think may be coming. I don't know if the reckoning is actually going to happen yet, but I think that there is a reckoning. And I'm going to get to make comments about buying shoes as opposed to buying ads on Wednesday. But um, <laughs> that's all I can think about. All right. There you go. Well, and I mean, I think the other thing that really is this comes into it is to sort of keep in mind that 
A, maybe we need some different early states that are more representative of the Democratic Party, but also to not put so much stock in, you know, a place that had 24 delegates. uh, New Hampshire and Iowa. All right. I got to call a stop to the conversation because we're completely out of time for today's show. A-Team, thank you so much. I am so grateful that you are all going to be back here on Wednesday to dissect what happens tomorrow on Super Tuesday. So thank you for your willingness to do that. By the way, uh, because early voting starts today, we've put up a link on our social media where you can check to see which locations in which voting locations in your community, in your county are available. And uh, just check that out and go ahead. Start voting. Why not? And wash your hands after you vote. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We're out of time. See you all tomorrow. (laughs) 